Welcome to Torah Imecha, Nachyomi with the OU Women's Initiative. My name is Norma Mintz, and today we will be studying Micha Perak Aleph, the first Perak. The opening of Sefer Micha immediately gives us its historical context. Dvar Hashem Asher Haya El Micha Hamarashti Bimeyotam Achaz Yechizkiya Malchai Huda Asher Chaza Al Shamron Virushalayim. The word of the Lord that came to Micha the Morashti, who prophesied concerning Shomron, Samaria, and Yerushalayim in the reigns of the kings Yotam, Achaz, and Chizkiyahu of Yehuda. Micha Zanavi, during the reigns of the Judean kings Yotam, Achaz, and Chizkiyahu. We learn that he is from Morasha, a city in the southern kingdom of Yehuda. Some identify the ancient city of Morasha as the modern area of Tel El Yehuda, which is an agricultural region. Additionally, we learn that Micha will be prophesying concerning Samaria, or Shamron, and Yerushalayim. This indicates that his Nebuot will be addressed to both the northern king of Yisrael, as symbolized by its capital city of Shamron, and to his own community of Malchut Yehuda, as represented by its capital city of Yerushalayim. Micha is often grouped with the other three Nevi'im who prophesy at the same time, Yeshayahu, Hosea, and Amos. Interestingly, all of the other three precede him, as their Nevi'ot began during the time of the kingdom of Uziah. As such, most commentators assume that Micha is the youngest among the four, and many assert that he actually was the student of Yeshayahu. In Perak Aleph, Micha addresses the masses, pleading with them to listen. In fact, the word shim'u is an important marker in our sefer, as it serves to open a structural recurring pattern in the sefer. It appears here, at the beginning of the third parak, and at the beginning of the sixth parak. Each of these sections will begin with reproach and end with messages of hope and comfort. In our parak, Micha says that Hashem himself will serve as a witness against them. He then personifies Hashem in Pasuk Gimel, describing him as exiting his sanctuary and making his way toward the people. For behold, Hashem is coming forth from his place. He will descend and trample the heights of the land. In this manner, Hashem, who of course has no actual physical location, comes to exact punishment on his people, as he seems to emerge from the Hechal, and he approaches the multitudes. The effect will be immediate, and Micha relates a powerful imagery of everything in his path reacting upon his passing by. V'namasu heharim tachtav, v'ha'amakim yitbaka'u kedonag mipnei ha'esh kemayim mugarim b'morad. The mountains shall melt under him, and the valleys burst open, like wax before fire, like water cascading down a slope, one can imagine the way hard wax so quickly can react to a flame as it melts and moves away from the heat, so too, unfortunately, will be the strong and dramatic effect of Hashem's punishment. In Pasuk Hay, Micha then lays the blame for this tragic turn of events on the leaders of the nations of Yisrael and Yehuda. Bepesha Yaakov kolzot, ubechatot beit Yisrael. Mi pesha Yaakov, halo shomron. Umi bamot Yehuda, halo Yerushalayim. 
All this, meaning all of these punishments, stem from the transgression of Yaakov and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Yaakov but Shamron? And what caused the Bamot of Yehuda but Yerushalayim? Both the people of the ten tribes of the northern kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Yehuda have been led astray by their many corrupt and idolatrous kings. In the case of Yehuda, specifically, the text references their Bamot, which literally refer to the high places that were set aside for worshiping God outside of the area of the Beit HaMikdash, which has been forbidden since the establishment of centralized worship, first with the Mishkan and later with the Beit HaMikdash. Radak and Mabim understand the word Bamot in this manner, though Mitzudot asserts the Judean sins went even farther, ultimately using Bamot for idol worship as well. Michan now turns his attention to Malchut Yisrael in particular for the next two psukim. He explains that Shamron will be destroyed. Visamti Shamron le'i hasadeh lemata'e karem, vihigarti lagai avaneha, visodeha agaleh. So I will turn Samaria into a ruin in a field, into ground for planting vineyards. For I will stumble, I will tumble, excuse me, her stones into the valley and lay her foundations bare. It is interesting because in the books of Navi, we often have positive associations with vineyards. But here it is different because the bustling capital city of Shamron will have to be wiped out in order for it to become fertile ground for a vineyard. Interestingly, it does not actually say that it will become a vineyard, only that it will be a location in which a vineyard may be planted. Later on, we find that Yirmiyahu, in a sense, responds to this nevuah and transforms its theme into a bracha. As he writes in Sefer Yirmiyahu, Parak 31, Pasuk 4, Od tit'i kramim beharei shamron, nat'u not'im vechilelu. Yet again shall you plant vineyards on the mountains of shamron. Indeed, planters shall plant them and redeem them. When Yirmiyahu speaks, the destruction of Israel and Shamron had already long passed, but he prophesies of a future in which people will plant fruitful vineyards and the land will have a new beginning. But as of this moment, Shamron had only desolation ahead, as Pasuk Zion 7 describes how its idolatrous practices will now bring about its downfall. In Pasuk Chet, the 8th verse, Michal laments the terrible fortune that lies ahead. Alzot espada, the elila elcha sholal va'arom, e'esem isped katanim ve'evel kivnot yane. The first half of the pasuk can be understood to mean, because of this I will lament and wail, I will go stripped and naked. The commentators differ as to whether Micha speaks literally of nakedness, or whether it perhaps refers to the torn clothing of mourning, and whether perhaps Micha is simply describing a metaphorical emptiness that he feels. But regardless, this pasuk is Micha crying over the fate of his people. In the second half of the pasuk, his cries are compared to those of animals. Micha, who lived in rural settings and was very familiar with both agriculture and the animal kingdom, often uses this knowledge in his prophecies. Here, tanim is understood to mean jackals, as, as is used in modern Hebrew as well. Jackals are known for their howls, so we can understand, as Micha states, I will lament as sadly as the jackals. In the end of the pasuk, the ya'na is translated as an ostrich by many commentators, 
with some pointing to the roar that male ostriches make as mating calls. Interestingly, in the book of Eov, we find that these two animals are again paired in the context of making a sound of mourning, in Perak 30, Pasuk 29. In Dan Mikra's commentary on that Pasuk by Yehuda Felix, he makes the case that male ostriches are generally silent, save for when they are in their mating stages. And he argues that the Ya'ana is not an ostrich, but actually an owl, whose hoots and howls are better suited for comparisons with the jackal. But in either event, this pasuk is, emo- is Micha's emotional expression of his pain at sharing this difficult prophecy. As Micha describes the injurious wounds that are suffered in Pasuk 9, he explains that these wounds will make their way and extend to Machot Yehuda. Unfortunately, an understanding of the history of the time can place this pasuk in one of a few different contexts. Ibn Ezra believes that this refers to the Assyrian conquest and exile of the ten northern tribes of Yehuda. I'm sorry, the ten northern tribes of Israel, which later turned into further Assyrian attacks on multiple cities of Yehuda, as we will find in the times of Chizkiyahu. Mitzudot believes that Sancharib's successful exiling of Mahu Israel paved the way for Nebuchadnezzar to have the confidence to ultimately do the same many years later to the people of Yehuda. The Malbim, however, understands this pasuk quite differently, asserting that the wounds were not inflicted by an outside enemy, but they refer to the wounds that the kingdom of Israel caused to Machot Yehuda. This occurred when Israel, under the leadership of Pekach ben Ramaliah, allied itself with Aram and attacked Yehuda, ultimately killing 120,000 Judeans in one day, according to Devarim Mimbet, um, the 28th parak, the 4th verse. For the remaining psukim of the parak, Micha details a number of cities as representative of the suffering the nation will face. The cities he chooses are generally ones that poetically employ lashon nofil al lashon, phonetic similarities that allow for plays on words. In fact, a good number of the cities listed are contested among the Mefarshim as to their location, and many of the cities have no known identifying place today. Micha begins with the words, Begat al tagidu bacho al tifku, bevet l'ofra afar hitpalashi. Tell it not in gat, refrain from weeping, in bet l'afra wallow in the dust. With Micha's first example, he alludes to David's lament upon hearing of Shaul and Yonatan's death in Shmuel Bet, Perak Aleph, the first Perak. There, David similarly states, Al tagidu begat, tell it not in gat. In Micha's continuation, Beit Ofra is a place where people will weep and wallow in the afar or dust. In Pasuk 11, the words strangely shift from the singular feminine to the masculine plural when Micha states, Ivri lachem yoshevet shafir. Though there is consensus upon, among many Mepharshim that the Pasuk thus addresses the people as a unit as, and also then as individuals, as they are told that they will pass on to exile and have its nakedness uncovered, and it describes the inhabitants of Beit HaEtzel as being attacked and exiled without their neighboring city, Sa'anan, grieving its fate, as its exile follows immediately after. The city of Marot in Pasuk 12 echoes the Yarad Ra, the evil that will come down upon it. The Rashi believes it is not a proper noun, but rather a description of those who rebelled against Hashem. The pasuk ends with an announcement that the evils will even reach the gates of Yerushalayim.
In Pasuk 13, we encounter a city that is undoubtedly factual and quite important in understanding the history of Mahu Yisrael during Micha's time. Lachish. This is actually, I'm sorry, this is really important to understanding the history of Mahu Yehuda during Micha's time in particular. The Pasuk states, Ritom ha-merkava l'rechesh yoshevet lachish, reshit chata'ati l'vatzion, ki bach nimsu'u pish'e Yisrael. Hitch the steeds to the car- chariot inhabitant of Lachish. It is the beginning of Fair Zion's guilt. Israel's transgressions can be traced to you. Lachish was the second most important city in the kingdom of Yehuda, second only to Yerushalayim. It was situated close to the border of Mahu Israel, and Ibn Ezra explains that it was very negatively influenced by Israel's idolatrous ways. In fact, in Lachim Bet, Perak 14, and even more so in Divrehamim Bet, Perak 25, we learn of Amatziah, who was king of Yehuda some time before, and who began worshipping Edomite gods. When a rebellion is planned against him, he runs away to Lachish, though he is ultimately found and killed there. Here, Micha asserts that their influence eventually led to the infection, so to speak, of the larger kingdom. Unfortunately, we are also quite familiar with Lachish because of historical findings that point to the Assyrian plundering of the city during the kingship of Chizkiyahu, in events that must have been exactly what Micha describes. Today, one can visit the Lachish reliefs in the British Museum and see the depiction of the tragedy, including the inscription, Sancheriv, king of the universe, king of Assyria, sits on a throne and the spoils of Lachish are paraded before him. In Pasuk 14, Micha references sending gifts to Moreshet Gat, once again, a city whose identity is unclear. It is possible a reference to, Micha, um, to Micha's own city is mentioned here, as he is called Micha HaMorashti in Pasuk Aleph, though many assume the connection with Gat identifies the town as a Plishti city from the time of David, as we discussed in Pasuk 10, and the Mabim believes them to be two distinct cities. The gifts referenced are bribes, that will be sent either to Moreshet Gat or on its behalf, depending on its identity. Finally, we find yet another example of Lashon Ophel Lashon with the words, Batei Achziv Lachzav Lamachei Yisrael, that the houses of Achziv will become a lost cause. At the close of the parak, Micha describes a Yoresh, an enemy who will dispossess the people and take hold of the land, from Maresha, a city believed to be distinct from Morasha, and to Adulam. Moshe Zaydel of Dat Mikra makes the point that in Shmuel Aleph, Perak 22, we find David fleeing, fleeing to the caves of Adulam. <clears throat> and here we once again find a description of our flight. And this return to our earlier misfortune accounts for the Pasuk mourning, Kavod Yisrael, the glory of Yisrael. So who is this dispossessor? Radak identifies him as the Assyrian ruler Sancheriv, while Matsudot believes it to be Nebuchadnezzar. Finally, Micha exclaims painfully, Shear off your hair, make yourself bald for the children you once delighted in. Make yourself bald as a vulture, for they have been banished from you. Micha describes the desire to rip out one's hair and shave it in mourning, either for the children who once brought you delight, as Radak understands it, or for your spoiled children, as Targum Yonatan understands it. Ultimately, our pain will thus leave us bold, just as a nesher, or a griffin vulture, has bold spots on, their, on its head. Moshe's Idella Dantmikra also makes the point that by concluding our parak with a reference to a nesher, it highlights the loss of the beloved children, as Radak understands the pasuk. 
Within our Mitzvah, we have an understanding of the unique care that vultures exhibit for their children, as reflected in Rashi's commentary on the Pasuk al Kanfein Sharim in Shemot Perak 19. Or as the Pasuk describes in Dvarim 32, the verse 11, Like a vulture who rouses its nestlings, gliding down to its young, so did God spread wings and take them, bear them along on pinions. Unfortunately, in this moment, we stand in such stark contrast to that description of our close relationship with Hashem, as the terrible events unfolding remind us of the Nesher in a very different sense. In Perak Aleph of Micha, the prophet laments the upcoming misfortunes of the people of the kingdoms of both Yisrael and Yehudah. He details their sinful ways and explains Hashem's plans to punish them, painfully bemoaning the tragedies that will befall the people. Thank you for studying together the Eloi Nishmat Riva Schwab Rivka Bat Alexander Sender.